Well, it's good to be back with you all this morning in the park, despite the cold and the rain, like I said. Uh, if you are new or visiting today, or if you just don't know who I am, my name's Aaron. I'm the pastor of Connections here at Pursuit, and uh, I really enjoy the times when I get to come up here and share with you guys the message. Uh, pastor Mark is gone on vacation. They're out in Wisconsin having fun, and uh, that means you get me this week. So hopefully you're excited about that, because I am. Uh, I'm going to pray for our time this morning here in a second. And uh, then we'll get started. So uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this time that we get to be together. Uh, even though it's cold, uh, we just get to bask in your warmth, God. As cheesy as that sounds, saying it out loud. We love you, and we thank you for all of the things that you do for each of us. We thank you for the ways that you bless us and guide us, God. And I just want to pray for our time this morning, that as we jump into your word and we learn about who you are and how you work, God, that you just uh, make these things real for us and help us find ways to trust you more. It's in your son's Jesus name that I pray. Amen. So like I said, with the Allens out of town this week, we are taking a quick break from our current sermon series uh, from the start, and we are just kind of doing our own thing today. I was here with you guys last teaching back on the 25th of June, uh, and when I was here, we were talking about this subject of trusting God. Uh, I had just gotten off a week at camp with a bunch of senior hires, and I spent the whole week talking to them about trusting God, and so it was a very real thing for me then, and it's also a lot more real for me today. I trust in God that my sweatshirt will keep me warm. Uh, it's kind of cold. Uh, but this theme of trusting God, I think it's really important for us to just spend a few moments talking about this, because trusting God can be tough, and life is difficult. Life makes it hard to do that, to trust God. And for real, it's a, it's a real topic for me, and I'm sure it is for most, if not all of you. So I want to talk, uh, continue this discussion this morning, and I specifically want to talk about the idea of trusting God when life gets difficult, when life is hard. But before we do any of that, I want to give you guys a little confession. Uh, and it's kind of hard to say this, but I just have to tell you that I am a pastor, and sometimes... I struggle with putting my full faith and trust in God. I share that with you honestly, but I share that with you, if anything, to give you permission for those of you who maybe think more of pastors or idolize people like me, professional Christians, you think, oh, they've got it all figured out. I don't at all. If anything, I'm sure you guys are well on your way to trusting God at times more than I am. Everyone struggles with this. This is a real thing. If you just sit for a second and you think about this notion of trusting God, have you ever felt that? And not just trusting God with little things, but trusting God with big things. Have you ever struggled trusting God? Maybe you want to trust God, but life gets in the way. Maybe life is difficult, or you've experienced some sort of abuse or hardship or something, and it feels like life is getting more difficult instead of getting easy. It feels like trusting God is the last thing that you want to do. It feels like trusting God is impossible. As Christians, we've been given so much. We've been given the grace and truth of a Savior. We've been given identity in Christ. We are children of God now, not children of the world. We've been given a personal relationship with God through Jesus. We've been given a purpose, too. We've been given this purpose to live our lives like Jesus. And we've also been given a mission. Our mission is to share that good news of Jesus with as many people as possible. 
but we're also human. We live in a world full of hard, difficult, oftentimes broken things. We live in a world full of broken institutions, broken relationships, broken motivations, even broken people. As followers of Jesus, living in the world builds tension within each of us. We feel the motivation to live like Jesus, to be his followers, and to follow his example. But we also are fully aware of how difficult this world can be. We know the context, hardships, brokenness, abuses, neglects. We know that the world is a difficult place to be in. It's almost like you have a foot in one world and one foot in the other. And there are so many things that get in the way of living like Jesus, that get in the way of trusting God. For me, at times, it's easier to just say that I trust in God than it actually is to trust him. Can you relate? Maybe you feel like you love God, you know Jesus, you believe in God, but you're uneasy, you're nervous about what the future holds. Maybe you feel the pressure or the tension of culture. Maybe you can't get past the very real social, political, economic, maybe even racial divides in our country right now. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of hate in the world. And maybe it's fear that's holding you back. Maybe you struggle with some sort of a mental health issue, depression, anxiety. Whatever it is, trusting God, actually trusting God, can be very difficult. The good news is that God, in his infinite wisdom, his ultimate design, God prepared a way for us to do just that, to trust him. God has something for each of us today so that we can lean into those difficulties and learn how to trust him despite the obstacles, whatever those are for you. So what is that thing you might ask? God has given us the power of his spirit. Now, this is a very churchy answer, so some of you might be thinking like, oh, yep, that sounds right. But when I'm talking about the power of the Spirit, I'm talking about a literal power that God has given us to find confidence, to find strength, to find peace, the ability to navigate life in step with God, to truly trust Him. The Holy Spirit gives us that power to trust Years ago, when I was in college, um, I was working full-time during the day, and then I was taking night classes as a full-time student at night down at Normandale in uh, Bloomington. And uh, I was actually part of a college ministry at that time. And so I was in a small group. It was a group of guys. And uh, we were going through a Bible study, and we were actually talking about uh, respect for other people, other groups of people. But we had just had a lesson where we talked about respecting women because it was a guys' group. And uh, it was great. And so I had really felt convicted to just be respectful of women at the time. I was single. I wasn't dating anyone. So one day, uh, I had just finished classes at Normandale that night, and I was driving home, and I stopped at a gas station to get gas. And this is long before I met my wife, Jessica. Uh, I finished pumping gas, and I walked into the gas station, I think, to get, like, a Coke or something. And when I walked into Super America... Right there in front of me was the most beautiful woman that I'd ever seen 
up until that point in my life. Again, before I met Jess. She loves this story, by the way, and I'm actually really glad that she's not here because it's super embarrassing. Um, so I saw this woman. I saw that she was very attractive, and because of this conviction on my heart to be respectful towards women, I just said, just walk away. Don't go talk to her. Don't hit on her. Don't do anything. Just go walk away. So that's what I did. I got my Coke. I went and paid, and as I'm paying at the counter, I hear a voice say, hey, how's it going? And I look up, and it's this young woman across the counter. Like at most gas stations, there's two counters facing each other. She was at the opposite one, and she had started talking to me. And like a dork, I just said, me? And so we started talking. This woman who I was going out of my way to ignore started talking to me. So for any of you who remember what it was like to be dating, uh, you kind of feel this rush and this excitement so me and this young lady, we started talking. We walked out of Super America, and we were chatting. And she was uh, about to leave, and she just said, it was really nice to meet you. And I said, yeah, it was. And then she left. She got in the passenger side of a car, and she drove off. And it was in that moment that I felt a conviction to follow her and get her phone number went against everything inside of me. There was no logic. It's a fool who tries to find logic in the chambers of the human heart. I just thought, this is an amazing young woman and I have to get her phone number. I just have to. I couldn't just walk away. So I get in my car and I start following her car. And at one point, it felt like they were trying to lose me because it felt like we drove over half of Richfield and Bloomington. We finally ended up uh, in the parking lot of a Joanne Fabrics. It's okay to laugh because this is embarrassing. It's very creepy. We ended up in the parking lot of a, of a fabric store, of Joanne Fabrics, and I see this young lady get out of her car. I'm parked in the very back so they don't see me. I see her, and it's another young woman, her and her friend, walk into the store. I pump myself up. I get up the courage. I get out of my car. I walk into Joanne Fabrics, and I see half a dozen grandmas buying fabric, and I freak out. I, at one point, was on, I'm not joking, this is a real story, I was on my hands and knees, I sneak out of the store, I go back to my car, uh, I feel very embarrassed and just ashamed of what I've done. I've followed a young lady to a fabric store to get her phone number, what am I doing? And it was in that moment that my conscience inside of me, my conscience said, the reason you left that store is because you forgot to get a pen and paper to get her phone number. So I talked myself back into it. It was these highs and lows of like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. And then the high of like, no, this is your future wife. Like, this is an amazing story that you'll be able to tell your kids. Get a pen and paper. I go back up to the front door. And right then, out this woman and her friend walk from Joanne Fabrics. So we're now face to face. And she says, what, what are you doing here? And I was trying to think up some sort of a lie. Like, uh, yeah, I just was, you know, I'm in the area buying fabric. Didn't, I couldn't think of anything. So I just leveled with her and I said, hey, I thought we had a moment back at Super America and I wanted to get your phone number. And she said, okay. Oh, amazing, right? Her friend that she was with is dying laughing. She thinks this is the funniest thing that she's ever seen. We're walking back to their car and just talking and she's writing down her information on the piece of paper. We get to the car. 
Her friend gets in the driver's seat. She's about to give me her name and number. And then she asks me a question. She says, uh, how old are you? And I was, at the time, 20. My birthday was in a week. I was about to turn 21. I said, I'm 20, but I turn 21 next week. And then she starts laughing. And I'm really confused. I don't know what's going on. I looked on the back of the car, and there was a bumper sticker that said, Mankato State Women's Soccer. So I just assumed that she was a college student like me. Well, she hands me the pen. She takes the piece of paper and puts it in her pocket, and she says you're really sweet, but I don't date young guys. And I'm like still trying to process what's going on. And I said, how old are you? And she said, I'm 38. <laughs> and in that moment, I'm trying to do the math in my head and see if I'm okay with this. And then she says to me, she says, you're really cute. It was nice meeting you. And then she gets in the car and drives away. And in that moment, I'm standing in the middle of the parking lot of Joanne Fabrics in Richfield, Bloomington, Minnesota. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what a cool story. This is amazing. I was so excited. I couldn't believe what just happened. I'm like calling all my friends on my phone. No one's answering. I have no one to tell this to. So I call my mom. And I remember what my mom said to me. She says, why are you telling me stupid stories? She says, just come home. And that was it. I think the power of the Spirit works like that at times. I am by no way saying or trying to equate that it was the Spirit that motivated me to try and get this young lady's phone number at a Joanne Fabrics. That's not the point. That's not how God works. But what I am saying is that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to trust in God in amazing, powerful, stupid, crazy ways that don't always make sense. Power that pushes us towards God in ways that we could never imagine or even believe or come to understand. But that's how God works. I believe that God's power works like this for our benefit. And like I said, I'm not talking about the creepy courage to go get someone's phone number at a fabric store. I'm talking about the power to trust God when it doesn't make sense. God gives us the strength to believe. Scripture gives us several glimpses of this power, and it's power that we all have access to. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this story. It comes out of the Gospel of Luke. The kids who were up here actually just sang about it. Super ironic, like God planned this or something. We didn't plan it. Luke chapter 5. And then after we talk about that, I want to give you guys two prayers that you can pray when you're struggling to trust. They're prayers that will give you strength and courage. They will give you peace and the ability to trust in God just a little bit more. And my hope is that you guys will all leave this morning not only encouraged but equipped on how to trust God and lean into him a little bit more this next week. So let me give you some context about this story out of Luke chapter 5. The story behind the story here is like the kids just saying, Jesus was at the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And at this point in the story, Jesus has been teaching a gathered crowd. It's kind of like a Bible study. Also present here in, the, in proximity to Jesus was 
a group of fishermen. For them, it was towards the end of a very long, frustrating day of fishing. They had been out all day since the early morning, and they hadn't caught anything. These were guys that were pros, and they didn't have any success, and they normally did at fishing. So the scene here is a bunch of tired, probably really smelly fishermen. They were annoyed, maybe hungry, and they were cleaning up their boats and their gear, and they were putting these things away when Jesus walks up to them. And not only does Jesus walk up to them, he's a complete stranger. He gets into one of the boats belonging to Simon. And Jesus said to him, and this is a paraphrase, Jesus said, hey, bro, would you mind taking me out on the water? And just like so many stories in the Bible of Jesus, whoever Jesus is talking to, they listened. They took Jesus out on the water. Jesus gives a little lesson to Simon and his fellow fishermen And here's what happens next in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 4. It says this, When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled all of the boats so full that they began to sink. Then Jesus said to Simon, down in verse 10, we're skipping ahead a little bit. He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. Now, I love this story. It's one of my favorites. But when you read it, it sounds good. But you have to ask yourself, why did it happen like this? At this point, Jesus was a complete stranger to Simon and his fishermen friends. Now, maybe they had heard about Jesus. Maybe they'd heard about this rabbi who was new on the scene teaching. He was pretty radical. He was kind of building a following, uh, building a brand, if you want to call it that. Jesus was teaching amazing things and he was performing miracles, but he had no credibility to them at all. They didn't know him. They hadn't heard his teachings yet. And he had zero credibility as a fisherman. He's just a complete stranger who walks up to them. And speaking of fishermen, let's think about that for a moment. Simon and his buddies, they were fishermen. And I don't mean in like our modern context of like, you know, they go fishing when they're up at the cabin. This was their career. It was their livelihood. It was their family's legacy. Their fathers were fishermen and taught them how to fish. Their grandfathers had taught their fathers how to fish. This was like, you didn't pick your job. It was their family's legacy. They had been fishing these waters their entire lives. And if anyone knew how to fish here, where the fish were, the weather patterns on this lake, it was Simon. He was the expert, not some dude who just walked up uninvited. But the point here is this. Simon and his friends listened. They listened to a complete stranger with zero credibility. They listened in an amazing, powerful, stupid, crazy way that didn't make any sense. They listened and they followed 
they listened and they followed and they caught the biggest catch of their lives. It was literally their biggest payday ever. Their boats were sinking. They were so full of fish. That's how crazy this is. But then they do something strange right after that. We saw it in verse 11. They pull up their boats with the biggest catch of their lives, the biggest payday they're ever going to have, and they walk away from the whole thing. They walk away from the money. They walk away from their livelihood and their careers. They even, I'm sure in some ways, walked away from their families too. In this moment, we see a glimpse of that power that I was talking about before. That amazing, powerful, crazy, stupid power that doesn't make any sense. The power to be bold, the power to walk away and to follow and to listen God, listen to God. It was the power for Simon to trust God when everything in this world said not to. It was the power for Simon to trust God when everything in his life pushed back and said no. It was the power to trust God when everything inside of you says no. God can't do this for me. I have to do it myself. It was the power, the strength to believe. So the question is this for you. Do you think that you have access to that same power today? Hopefully, you guys already know that the answer is yes. So what can you do when life gets hard, when you need the strength to believe in God? Here are two prayers that you can pray that can help you, and they have helped me many times. The first one comes out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Let me read it for you if you're not following along. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I know that when I struggle with trusting God, the last thing that I want to do is to give away what little control that I have in my life. Proverbs 3 is telling us to do that. It says, in all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. It doesn't say, like, give God 70%, and you just hold on to that crucial 30%, that 30% that matters. It doesn't say, you know what, yeah, just, you know, maybe listen to God and, and he'll kind of, he'll point out the things that are really important. It says no. It says submit. Make yourself lower than God. Give God control of everything. Give God control. When life gets hard, don't lean on your own understanding, your own thoughts, your own experiences, your own judgment, your own conscience. Lean on God. Give God control and he will take care of whatever it is that you're struggling with. And I can tell you from my own personal experiences that when you relinquish control of your life, of a situation, of a relationship, of a job, a career, whatever it is, when you let Jesus take control, when you let go, when you let Jesus take the... Um, no, wait. We're not going to do that one. Maybe not that last one. Sorry, sorry, Taylor Swift. When you give God control, life gets much more manageable. Trust is no longer a burden. Trusting God becomes a joy. It becomes joyful to trust God. To give away control, to let God figure things out. It's an adventure that you just get to sit and watch and be a part of and not have to be stressed or anxious or worried about it. When life gets hard, don't lean on your own understanding. 
give God control and he will take care of it. The second prayer comes out of Psalm 20, verse 7. It says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord, our God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's one of my struggles is I really just, I trust chariots and horses too much. (laughs) The context here is not literally about trusting in horses more than yourself or more than God. Chariots and horses were essentially ancient military vehicles. They were ancient tanks. This is how you fought wars. This is how you defended your kingdom or your city or your family from an attack. And what the psalmist is saying is, don't trust in weapons. Don't trust in your defenses. Don't trust in your own might or abilities, but trust in the name of the Lord. More than once, the Bible tells us that the name of God has power. There are stories, many stories, of demons fleeing, of miracles happening, all at the simple mention of God's name. I think that in our worst moments of doubt and fear, God's name can bring us confidence. It can inspire us to be bold and to trust. We have been given this amazing gift of knowledge of God's scripture, of his word, of the stories we know and have learned about the character of God. We have seen what only he can do. Do I think that the name of God is magical? Like it's a spell that we can say or an incantation? No, I don't. I don't think saying God's name works the same way like saying Beetlejuice three times. It's not the same thing. But saying the name of God is more akin to taking communion here at church than that. By saying God's name, you are reminded of his power. You're reminded of his stories in God's word, in the Bible. You're reminded of what God has done. You're reminded of his promises. Saying God's name is more like a cheer that reminds you of God's past works and his past moments, his victories, his ability to shelter his people and protect them, to fight their battles, to give them whatever they need. Saying God's name is like a battle cry that reminds you of your identity, reminds you who you are, reminds you of your relationship to God, with God. His name has power. So don't place your trust in people or things or horses when life is at its worst, but simply and powerfully trust in the name of God. Trust that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised that he will do in moments of need because only he can do it. Now, when I was back here on the 25th in June talking about trusting God, I took a second just to make an acknowledgement and I want to do that same acknowledgement right here and I just want to say out loud, I acknowledge the tension that is present right here when we talk about trusting God. I know it's hard. I know the things in our lives, and we're all different. The things that we all struggle with are hardships, roadblocks, difficulties. All of those things are different. We have a God who knows that trusting him is not easy. And it's for that reason that God freely gives us access to the power and the presence of his spirit to live and indwell in us 
to guide us, to show us the way, to give us confidence and peace when we can't make sense of it and we can't control it and we've run out of options and we don't know what else to do or where to turn, we have a God who knows. It would be devastating, actually, if God demanded or said, I need you to trust me, but then didn't provide a means or a way to accomplish it, right? It's the exact opposite. God loves you. He loves us so much that he was willing to do whatever it would take to ensure a way, a road back to a relationship with him. So as I wrap up our time this morning, I want that to be the question that you ponder. How do you access the power of the Holy Spirit in your life when things get hard? How do you lean on God and not yourself in times of need? Because the good news is that God is ready and willing to do just that, to provide a way forward, to provide security, peace, and confidence with whatever it is that's holding you back. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, we just thank you again for today. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for your spirit, God. You've given us all of these things to draw us closer to you, to draw us into a relationship with you, God. And so I just pray for these people that you would help them lean on you, God, this week. Help them trust you in maybe new ways, ways that are crazy, maybe even stupid, ways that don't make sense. But help us each do that through your spirit, God. Help us trust in you and lean on you when we need you. And we're thanking you in advance because we know that you'll do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.